Time now for Scoops with Danny Mac, the podcast on 101 ESPN. Scoops with Danny Mac, and this is the Thursday edition of the program. A reminder that we have Cardinals baseball on Fox Sports Midwest. We'll come your way at 1230. That'll be a doubleheader down at Bush Stadium. Yes, Scotty, it's another doubleheader. I'm looking forward to it. I am too. I'm enjoying the doubleheaders. The players are enjoying the doubleheaders. I think the fans are. Want to hear from you, 65780. This is your show, so jump on in on the text line, the Air Comfort Service text line, 65780, and uh, we'll visit with Brad Thompson coming up. One of my broadcast partners, I think my partner today is Rick Horton. He's probably already been down at the ballpark since, oh, I'd say probably 5.30 this morning in mad preparation for this doubleheader. So a seven-inning doubleheader, uh, game one and then game two. Maybe seven innings. You never know. Could go to extra innings with a runner at second. I think fans kind of like that. I've gotten back and forth on that one. Gotten back and forth on that one. I saw Clayton Kershaw called it not baseball. Yeah, I saw that too. He doesn't like it. He's been pretty vocal this year about a lot of things. Very vocal about a lot of things. What do you think about that? That's fine. He's he's got he, hey he's entitled to his opinion, and he's one of the the greatest pitchers of his generation. I'm fine with that. No problem whatsoever. I like I, it when I, athletes speak up about what's going on in the game. In the game, sure. Yeah, I, I, guys that have uh, vocal opinions about it, absolutely. And he has as much of a, a right uh, with with the kind of you know stake in the game that he's had for as long as he's been in the game and. You know, someone that understands the game and has been around for as long as he's been in the game. Yeah. And is connected with so many players in the game. Sure. Yeah, I love it. I love hearing from athletes, period, in and out of the game, whatever they want to say. Dude, MLB needs more people like that to to voice their opinion. They need to know what the players think. And not necessarily that it's going to change anything, but I think fans also like to know where players sit at in, in those situations. Well, the game is the players. So I want to hear from the players. What do you, that's why I think that um, when you look at how the NBA has done things with what, how is it, it pertains to their feelings and what needs to happen inside the game. I like it. You know what I'm saying? Like Chris Paul said, I, I think the ball is, he didn't like the ball. Okay. So he went to Adam Silver, literally said, I don't like the ball. So Adam Silver said, what don't you like about the ball? And he said, well, this, that, and the other. And he said, okay, well, maybe we need to change it. They changed it. Okay, fine. They heard from the players. That's okay. It's amazing what communication can do. So that's, I'm fine with it. Players need to have a voice in their game. That's no problem by me. That's great. Uh, we had Ryan Fagan on yesterday, and I want to get your thoughts on some of this stuff. By the way, 636, the extra inning rule is just plain stupid. That's fine, too. Fans don't have to like it. Um, need the sweep today. Well, the Cardinals start, that's from the 6-3-6. The Cardinals start two and a half games back because the Cubs lost yesterday. So the Cardinals pick up a half game in the Central. Ryan Fagan from the Sporting News on if the Cardinals should or can win the NL Central. He was on Carriker and Smallman yesterday. I do. You know, I, mean, I think when you watch the games that the Cardinals have played against the Cubs, um, it, it doesn't feel like the Cubs are a team that are, you know, four or five games better than the Cardinals as is, is the case in the standings right now. So, and, and it could be interesting. It could very well be a scenario where the Cardinals play the Cubs in the postseason. And I doubt the Cubs would like that idea 
Um, it's because if you get a you know the, the three seed or the two seed, whatever they wind up, um, you don't want to play a team like the Cardinals um, because if you're looking at this St. Louis team and you're looking at a, a best of three first series and the Cardinals are throwing you know Jack Flaherty, Adam Wainwright, and Dakota Hudson, you know with a couple other arms in there, that's not a team you want to face. So you know I think because there's a lot, there's still a lot of ground to make up. I'm not sure that the Cardinals are going to be. Let's say they can catch them. They have the team to catch them. There's just maybe not enough time to catch them, if that makes sense. They've got uh, 23 games, or rather 23, yeah, 23 games in 19 days. Oh, there's time to catch them. The problem is they don't play head-to-head. They've got 10 head-to-head with Milwaukee. You've got uh, the doubleheader today, and then wrap up the homestand. You've got uh, 10 with Cincinnati. Now back to Ryan Fagan on the national perspective of the St. Louis Cardinals and everything that they've had to go through. I think people are still kind of getting a feel for what they are because the national feel of the Cardinals is, oh, that's the team that missed all those games, right? So I think there's there's less of a, of a feel for who they are as a team, what kind of challenger they are for the playoffs, potentially for you know, making it a couple of rounds in October, and they're still trying to figure that out. And it's also a team that didn't do much, didn't do anything at the trade deadline, which, you know, actually makes sense. But if you're talking on a national scale, that's what people pay attention to. You know, are they in first place? Or are they in last place? Did they do anything at the trade deadline? And the Cardinals kind of aren't any of those things right now. So I think uh, for a large portion of the country, they're, they're kind of flying under the radar at the moment. I would say so. The Cardinals won... The first game of this month, it was 16-2, to two, you may recall, over Cincinnati. Since then, they played eight games. They've gone four and four. Looking at the run differential, if you're into that, it's zero. Zero. 30 scored, 30 allowed. Cardinals, if they score five runs or more in a game, they are 15-0. and 0. So to me, it's about offense. Cardinals keep opponents under five runs a game. They're 16 and eight from the 2-1-7. Dan, what do you think they can do about the pitching? They've got to get that straightened out. Huh? I don't agree with that. Also, the seven innings and starting players in second base isn't real baseball. Like the seven innings, got to have it this year during the pandemic. And baseball, it's uh, it's going to keep people healthy. And I'm talking about what happens between the white lines. Um, yeah, I, I don't agree with what you're saying about the pitching. The pitching has been fine. Uh, pitching, matter of fact, has been really good. At times, the starters haven't gone deep, but the bullpen has been really good for the St. Louis Cardinals. To me, it's about the offense. We had Mark Saxon of The Athletic yesterday on Carriker and Smallman. I'm filling in. And, uh, you know, the lineup is going to change a lot because of the doubleheaders. That'll probably be the case today. And looking for a consistency. Yeah, 100%. And I think most managers do that. If you look at you know, the set lineup, you know, like you think about the Dodgers with that infield for whatever, 10 years, the same guys in the same spots in the lineup. That doesn't happen anymore. Um, and the thing to think about, a lot of people, you know, on Twitter, uh, as you guys know, sometimes becomes sort of this echo chamber and a place for people to vent. People are complaining about Tommy Edmond in the outfield, but look at the performance of the outfielders at that point. You know, Dexter Fowler had just you know, uh, gotten gotten sick and gone on the IL. He was the only outfielder doing anything. And so I think that's why Mike Schilt, you know, put him out there. Now you're seeing Harrison Bader kind of come around offensively and actually do some nice things, hit some balls really hard. I think that's encouraging. But, you know, when, you're, when your outfielders are batting 7, 8, 9, 
Um, and, you know, a lot of them are hitting 100, one something. You know, they're on the interstate and not really driving the ball. There's not a whole lot you can do. And, and even the guy we were just talking about, Matt Carpenter, plays into that because when Tommy Edmond plays the outfield, suddenly there's a spot vacated for Carpenter. So you really have a lineup with holes in it. And that's, that's I think, been the biggest problem for this offense this year, getting any traction is just you've had some almost kind of automatic outs at times, and that, that's just not going to work in the league as it, as it stands today. One of the things I like, though, that they're doing, Colton Wong at the top. So his last 10 games, and I know there's been some talk about maybe moving Carpenter to the top. Well, last 10 games, 424 average, 14 for 33, 500 on-base percentage, three walks, only five strikeouts, and he's also driven in six in his last 10 games in the leadoff spot. How do you not like what you've seen from Paul Goldschmidt this year? Comes in with a five-game hitting streak into the ballgame today. 330 average, fourth in the National League coming in today. And still the best on-base percentage in baseball. That is at 461. He has had a monster season. So you appreciate what you've seen from that. The expectations, Mark Saxon, what do you think about the Cardinals getting into postseason play? You know... At this point, I think if you were to you know press me, what would happen? I think it might look a little bit like last year, which is that they can pitch their way through a series or two, you know. But eventually, they could run into a team that just either has so much firepower on the pitching side that it completely shuts down the offense, or just outslugs them. And I, I you know, I think if you're going to face like a Dodgers team, you'd rather face them in a three-game series than a five or a seven-game series, but. You know, you just wonder about whether they can match teams scoring-wise. And until something changes here, I just don't think they're giving a lot of evidence of being a team that can do that. Um, On the other hand, if Jack Flaherty gets hot, if Adam Wainwright keeps doing what he's doing, if Carlos catches fire and pitches up to his ability, which I think is as good as anybody in the league, yeah, I mean, sure, they could just shut teams down entirely. But... Right now, they just don't look like a well-rounded team, at least to me. I I think Mike Schilt, though, does not get enough credit for what he's done this season. I really don't. I mean, Scotty, you know I'm the biggest Mike Schilt fan. And fans are going to have their opinions on managers. That's just the way it is in Major League Baseball. You didn't like this move. You love this move. You don't like this guy. You don't like the lineup. Whatever. But when you look at what he's done in these doubleheaders and coming off 17-day layoff with really no pitchers built up, with the exception of Wayno, he's a freak. <laughs> he's a freak. Came out and gave you five innings in that first game of the doubleheader. I don't know how he did it. He's been awesome. He's been an MVP along with Goldschmidt. But I went through and looked at how he's handled these doubleheaders. Another one coming up today. And today should be different. Guys are, are now starting to get built up. We'll see how he approaches it with Gomber in game two. But the Cardinals split with the Twins. Neither starter got through the fourth inning. That's problematic. But Mike Schilt has helped this team post more than respectable numbers during these six doubleheaders. The pitchers, the starters in the innings pitched is 46 innings pitched. The relievers have given them 39. 39. That's a lot. So it's an 85 total. The relievers... The innings pitched, and that's with a lot of guys that never would have seen Major League Baseball this year. The ERA is 3.76. Think about that. The reliever ERA, 3.76, and the reliever ERA in other times is not as pretty, but still got through it. 
It's just been remarkable what he's been able to do. Now, Jack Flaherty will go today. He's got to be better than he was at Wrigley Field. He loves pitching at Bush Stadium. There is no doubt about it. And I mentioned the numbers during uh, Carriker and Smallman. You know, his second half last year, we know that was historic, but he's best at Bush Stadium. His uh, his totals going back to the All-Star break last year. Ten starts at Bush Stadium. He's 6-1, and 1.27 ERA. The opponent average is 130 against him. So, hey, he's back in his comfort zone. They've got to have a better start from him. Then you have Gomber going in game two. And we talked to Greg Amsinger because I, I think Mike Schilt, again, has done a remarkable job. I think Don Mattingly's done an amazing job dealing with the COVID situation. And we asked him about some of the prominent uh, managers in the standouts this year. Uh, I completely agree with you. I, I look at three managerial performances that stand out. I'd make that four. Um, I think Montoya in Toronto. Um, basically Buffalo has been incredible when a team can't go home play any real home games uh, what Joe Girardi did with the Phillies missing so many games they couldn't I mean I think they played five games the first two and a half weeks of the season they couldn't even get their mojo going he's got the worst bullpen in the sport and then I put I put Mike Schilt and Don Mattingly together because of what they had to experience through COVID and with their players out and dealing with the serious matter of it uh, Don Mattingly going through almost 60 players through not even, what, 40 games? So that's just, to me, remarkable. We'll never see that again. At least we, I hope we never see that again. But Mike Shield is a terrific manager, and, and he's, he's kept the spirits up of this team. Um, you lean on experienced players, and that's, that's the one thing that I've come to, to. I've got a theme going right now, and Javi Baez brought it up, and Dan, you might agree with this. Um, young players, young hitters, when all they've known is, is the video technology to enhance their their evolution per at bat in a game, uh, they're struggling without that. And and to talk about veteran players, Paul Goldschmidt is hitting. Yadier Molina at this age is still hitting. Uh, the, the, the experienced player who didn't lean on it when they got into the big leagues are, are thriving at a, at a higher level than a lot of these young players. It was their binky for a while. So it, I think when you have veterans, it, it's going to help you in a season like this for multiple reasons. Uh, leadership, obviously, is something that doesn't come up in analytics. But what Adam Wainwright has done for the rotation is is tremendous. On his birthday, throwing that complete game was awesome to watch. But it, it's, it's the grittiness of this team that I think is standing out. Yeah, a couple of things that he mentioned that stand out to me. One, the young players across Major League Baseball going for broke because this is their shot, which has been kind of fun to watch. Um, and the other thing, how much guys rely on video, I'm not sure they're getting that chance because they can't get to the ballpark as early. You know, you can't come to the ballpark for a 7 o'clock game at 11 o'clock in the morning. Can't do it. You're not allowed to. So you get to the ballpark, you take a couple of rounds of BP in a concourse, which is the way it's set up in certain ballparks, and then you get a little sweat and you go play. I like that. That's how it's being done. And there's social distancing, so you can't congregate inside the video room and go watch your at-bats. Some you can, some you can't. So watch what's happening on the field. I do think there's going to be some things that come out of this season that will change going forward in the normal stages of a baseball season, and that might be one of them. Just some interesting things to think about. We can talk about it. 65780, Brad Thompson coming up in our next segment. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. 
My man, Brad Thompson. He'll be on, uh, well, he'll be on the fast lane today. Then back with me tomorrow behind the mic calling a little Cardinals baseball as the Reds will be in town. We've got a doubleheader on Fox Sports Midwest today. Ricky Horton will be my partner, and we've got a doubleheader as Detroit will be in town. It'll be Austin Gomber and Jack Flaherty in the doubleheader for the St. Louis Cardinals. Brad, good morning to you. How are things going? It is going great, man. We talked about it the other day on the broadcast, Dan. I'm digging these doubleheaders. Like, they're, they're fun to work. They're fun to watch. So, hey, another entertaining day of baseball. And if, if there is such a thing as, like, a routine for a doubleheader and getting ready for it, I don't think that there's a ball club in baseball that can be more prepared at this point than the club. I, I think if you had to take a poll of Major League Baseball players, I think the players would say, I'm in on the seven-inning doubleheaders. What do you think? Yeah, I would think so, too. Now, like, I think that every scenario is a little bit different. Maybe if you polled some of the Cardinals, they might say at this point, uncle. Like, you know, it's been different. They're doing it. They're doing it because they have to catch up games, and they've got so many freaking ball games uh, at this point. So maybe it's a little bit different for those guys. But, yeah, I would think so. I mean, especially if at some point it builds in more rest for you, which obviously you wouldn't be doing it for no reason. Throughout the season, guys are always looking for more off days here and there whenever they can get them because the rest is important. I think they, they're they great. And sometimes from a pitching standpoint, and this is a point that Austin Gomber made the other day, but uh, when he was doing his Zoom meeting probably two weeks ago, even prior to his start in the doubleheader against the Cubs, but he said, hey, sometimes that can give your bullpen a break where you have a starter that's built up. He goes out there, he gives you six maybe even gives you seven, and then all of a sudden your bullpen has a chance to replenish. So I dig them. I think they're fun. I love the fact that there's urgency around the fifth inning. You start seeing some of those moves being made. And as a fan, I'm just into it. I'm locked in. I don't want it to necessarily be the future of baseball, Dan. I'm not going totally anti-establishment here and saying, make all the games seven innings. That's going to be better. But, yeah, give me those doubleheaders here and there. Yeah, I like them. I'm enjoying them. How about Jack Flaherty? What needs to change with him? He wasn't very sharp in his last start. What are you expecting today? I expect a normal Jack Flaherty start, I mean, to be honest, and I expect that from a pitching talent standpoint, because he was built up before. I mean, this last start against the Cubs where he only ended up going two and two-thirds, he was built up to throw nearly 100 pitches. It just didn't work out for him. And for Jack, uh, one thing that I, I just didn't see last time against the Cubs was the ability to make adjustments quickly. And that's something that Jack has done such a better job of as he's growing in this league of, all right, a slider didn't come out of his hand correctly. Next pitch, he fixes it. I think he struggled with that a little bit and then started trying to, to do a little bit too much, and then the body was more working more than the arm was. And we saw the, the results not where he wanted it to be. But repetition is going to be key for Jack Flaherty, just being able to make those adjustments in-game. And I think that he's going to be just fine. I mean, the, the, the Tigers are playing a lot better baseball overall than I think most people expected them to play. I don't think anybody expected them to be sitting here just three games under 500. So whoever you play, it's going to be a challenge in a crazy 2020. But if he just does what Jack normally does, and you know how dominant he is in general, but specifically at home, I mean, he's one of the best pitchers in all of baseball 
when he's at his uh, home uh, home place at Bush Stadium. I think Jack's going to be just fine. And he's going to need to be, man. They need Jack to be Jack once playoff time comes. Absolutely. I love watching Austin Gombra. I'm a big Austin Gomber fan. I like him in the rotation. So uh, last time out, struggle with the strike zone. What do you look for as a fan when you're watching him and you know he's right? What do you, what do you see? Yeah, uh, first of all, with his struggles with the strike zone, I don't think that that's a, a crazy thing. It was a fairly significant jump that Gomber had to make. He threw 55 pitches in that game. Uh, he had thrown 14 the game before. The most he had thrown all season was 34 pitches. So uh, I think that being a little inconsistent in the strike zone is probably a product of the jump in pitch count. And it's also a product of he's been in the bullpen and his job has been swing and miss sliders as opposed to him trying to get deeper and deeper into a ball game. But when it comes to Gomber, he's got a really good feel for both of his breaking balls. I love the fact that the slider has emerged for him to go along with that big overhand curveball that he has. And he does a really good job, too, and that's why I like him profiling as a starter as well, is his fastball. He can just spot it in there on righties. Like he has no problem getting to the glove side and making them feel uncomfortable and then be able to throw that slider off of it. So um, the the jump in the pitch count last time is going to benefit him greatly. He's already built up a little bit, and he's been able to prepare this week a little bit differently and continue to build up. But Gomper's going to give you a good chance. I mean, it's not going to shock me to see him uh, you know, give you three, four innings and then hand it over to the bullpen that has been so good. I don't know what the future, and there's a lot of guys in this conversation, Dan, when you talk about the future, where they fit. Do they fit in the bullpen, or do they fit in rotations? Gomber, you and I have had this conversation a bunch of times on and off air, and we've done it with, with Ponce de Leon as well, who I know Ponce has struggled with his efficiency, but Gomber would be a starter for a lot of teams in baseball right now, and every day in the middle of their rotation starter, he just really hasn't had that chance with the Cardinals, but uh, I wonder what his future looks like, because I like him a lot in the rotation. I I get asked every day, and Brad Thompson, my guest, you can hear him on the fast lane coming up later today, um, so much about the offense, it's been inconsistent, waiting for somebody to kind of run with it, one of the outfielders, uh, Carpenter, obviously, and I just say, look, you've got two and a half weeks to go. you got 19 games. And if I'm Mike Schilt, if I see somebody have a hot day or have a hot game, he's in my lineup the next day. That That's how I'm doing sure. it. I'm just rolling out yeah, the hot yeah. hand. I totally agree with you. And it, and it doesn't matter who it is. I mean, roster move here just recently. You're going to have Austin Dean is going to be a part of the fold. Johan Oviedo goes to the I.L., if it's Austin Dean, if he gets in that bat and he looks good, well, guess what, Beaner? You're going to be playing. I'm going to plug you in. I'm going to put you in the corner, and, and you're going to do something. I think the key with this offense, Dan, is just know who you are. I mean, and that's, the, that's going to be the biggest point. They're not going to be what the Yankees are at their best. They're not going to be the Dodgers. They're not going to be the Padres. They do not have a team that can do the things that those teams can do. But what they do well is they get on base, and they get on base at a really high clip, they're good within the strike zone. They, they know who they are as hitters. You stay up the middle. I mean, you saw the, the approach they took against Cincinnati in the game that they scored 16, and I realize that I'm highlighting an outlier, okay, because the Cardinals don't score 16 runs a lot. But it wasn't a lot of home runs. There were only two of them off the bat of Brad Miller, a great surprise this year, what, what, what Brad has been. But it's just been the, okay, up the middle base hit. Other way, the left side's open for Colton Long. Boom, base hit. And it's kind of that death by a keep getting them over and over. And if you keep taking relentless at-bats, I think you're going to be okay. You're going to be in a good spot. And then all of a sudden, 
maybe that big double happens. That's what the Cardinals have been missing. It's just been that one big hit. You don't need everybody to be a bunch of bashers. But in a situation, Dan, when we were calling the game the other day against the Twins, they had a five-run third inning. Fantastic, right? You love it. However you get them, you get them. That's great. But it was a couple of hit batters, a couple of walks. Ron Hal Ravello had the ground ball through the left side. But you really could have broken open that game with that one big hit. And uh, I think that that's what you just continue to wait for. You keep getting guys on base. You keep churning them. And then you just hope that big hit ends up coming because – Dan, I don't know if you agree. I think that they have a lot of pieces that have underperformed. Not that they have, uh, they don't have good players. I think they have really good players, but I don't think a lot of them have hit their stride yet. Yeah, and the Carpenter situation, I think, dovetails into what happens in the outfield situation because if Tommy Edmond is playing in the outfield and an outfielder steps up, Tommy Edmond has to stay in the lineup. Well, where is he going to play? He plays third base, so that may push Carpenter out if Carpenter doesn't hit. Would you agree? Yeah, for sure. And I think that that falls under the category, Dan. I'm not sure this, if this one's on fan graphs or not, but that falls under the hang with them category. Yeah. Sorry about it. I mean, if you're not performing against your earlier point, hang with them. And Matt Carpenter overall uh, here recently, he hasn't forced his way in. And I know that fans continue to get frustrated. Oh, well, why is Matt Carpenter getting at bats? Well, it's exactly what you just said. It's that nobody else has taken a hold of one of those outfield spots and made it easy, made that decision easy on Mike Schilt and the staff. Because I really do believe, and they love Matt Carpenter. They believe in him. We know what he's been throughout his Cardinal career. But I think that they would be totally fine with having him there on the bench, having him available for maybe a spot later in the game against somebody that struggles against left-handers, and put him in there as opposed to deploying him in the starting lineup day in and day out if somebody else ran with it. And, uh, I mean, that, that's the thing. At the end of the day, you're going to keep churning pieces and you're going to keep cycling them until something ends up hitting it. So Matt Carpenter will continue to get his reps, and you hope that he runs with those. Uh, but if he doesn't, you hope somebody else, you know, ends up taking advantage of that spot, Dan. It's, it's, not, it's not a very – it's simple and it's not, right? It's simple. If somebody hits, they're going to play – but it's not simple if we just keep doing the same thing and nobody gets traction because you have to keep rotating these at-bats around. What did you think about Carlson going down? I, I still am a big, and I mean a big believer in Dylan Carlson. He's going to have to make adjustments against uh, off-speed pitches. There's no doubt about that. He was getting exposed a little bit with that. I think if those first few days he he was barreling the ball, exit velocity, so if you're a fan of sabermetrics, he was hitting the ball hard. If those get down, Maybe it's a different story with some of the confidence. I think we're going to see him before the year is through. But just overall, the decision to send him down and then looking forward by the end of the year, will we see him back? What do you think? Yeah, well, I'll start with the decision in general. I I agreed with the decision. I mean, it, it's one of those where you didn't need to be carrying four outfielders at this point. He had had his struggles, and uh, I know that there's probably people listening right now driving around saying, yeah, well, Bader has his struggles, and Thomas and O'Neill, you're right. And and they could have picked one of those guys if they wanted to, but I think they wanted this to serve as a little bit of a reset for Dylan Carlson, who was over his last 10, one for his last 18. He struck out 23 times, only walked five. Like, I I think that I am right there with you when it comes to the future of Dylan Carlson and the future of the Cardinals. Those two things are aligned. I mean, he Absolutely. is going to be he is going to be an impact player. He's going to be a part of things uh, for a long time, and they believe that. And I know that he believes that in his heart of hearts. But right now, 
you're worried about the here and the now. And the here and the now, you needed another pitcher. So the Cardinals had gone with the shorter bench uh, you know, over this past series when he got sent down. And you didn't have the reps for Dylan Carlson to be able to work through things. Things are a lot easier when you have a lineup that's clicking in general. And I felt this way about Harrison Bader specifically last year. We wouldn't have even talked about Bader's struggles offensively last year if everybody else in the lineup did what they were expected to do. Say, ah, you know, young kid's getting his at-bats, getting his reps, he's working through it. Well, when the lineup as a whole is struggling – you can't have a guy out there fight through things. And I do agree with your, your earlier point of maybe Dylan Carlson kind of uh, getting away from his approach a little bit, wanting to build some confidence back up. And Schilty talked about that too, uh, Dan, as you heard him. I mean, he said, hey, it's human nature, right? You have your struggles. You might change your approach a little bit. You just got to be able to get back to where you had success. He got pitched differently than he's ever been pitched before. And for Dylan Carlson, knowing how smart of a kid he is and knowing how good of a baseball player he is, and, and just he's a student. He never gets too down on himself. He's going to make adjustments. He's going to go to Springfield. I'm sure he'll dig into video. He'll take at-bats every single day. He'll probably lead off every single inning for both teams when they're doing their inter-squad games and try to make adjustments. He's going to be back. He'll be back this year. I I would be very surprised if he's not. He's got a a big future with the Cardinals, but right now, in 2020, as crazy as the Cardinals are are behind the Cubs by two and a half games, it's about the here and about the now, and this right here, right now, this, this past couple of days, Dylan Carlson didn't fit into the equation. I'm going to wrap it up with this. This is from uh, Bob Nightingale. Major League Baseball, the Players Union, are moving towards an agreement for the final three rounds of the postseason with the entire World Series played in a neutral site. Globe Life Field in Arlington would stage the World Series as well as the NLCS, and um, it looks like they're going to try to have a bubble, and that just seems to be um, common sense at this point. I'm sure you probably agree with that. You know what I, I do, but then I then I also I have been swaying like a, don't a you bit dare disagree with me. Don't you do it? Well, well here's what I'm saying, Dan. Uh, I, you know what? Now, now that you laid it out that way, I wholeheartedly disagree with you. Here's why: uh, because stuff's been working. I mean, overall stuff has been working. Here's the only thing that I worry about with the bubble situation. Okay, is that and maybe I'm just jaded from watching the Blues and seeing how it happened for them. But it just felt like like just being in that sort of environment where you're totally quarantined, it felt very just sanitized and didn't feel right. At least with these teams currently playing in their, their own home ballparks, it still feels like baseball. Maybe there's that, that's still that same energy around it. I feel like the stuff has been trending in the right direction where players uh, are doing the right things. They're keeping themselves healthy. I understand the reason behind it being the almighty dollar in general, right? You end up getting one team that's sick, you lose a round, and you are out of luck big time. I don't think that you can make a bad decision when it comes to this. If everybody continues to keep doing what they're doing, I think it would work in the home ballparks. But if you end up going to, for the final couple of rounds, to a bubble, I think it'll be fine. I just worry about how sanitized it's going to feel. Yeah, I don't think you can take any chances, man. I mean, we, hey, it's 2020. Roll the dice, Dan. I mean, it's like, <laughs> we're taking chances every single day. That's what that's we true. Do. That part is true. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take all the risk out of it as much as I can. With as much money as on the line in postseason play, and I, if I can bring my family to it too, and it's only a month. Remember, this is only a month. At that point, it'd probably only be three weeks. 
So you're only well, asking has, for three weeks. Has that part of it happened, by the way? Have they established the they are going to try to allow to bring families there also? Because that that's a big difference maker, whether they're going to say it or not. I think that we've seen this happen in the NBA already, and I think we've seen it happen in the NHL also. I think that there are a lot of guys that, yeah. that are just thinking to themselves, ah, you know what, what's the worst case scenario? We lose this game, I get to go see my family. You know, that's not yeah, right. too bad. It's damn hard to go out there and play at your best ability when you have that in the back of your head. Yeah, I don't think the Players Association would agree to it, at least my opinion. I haven't heard this officially, but I don't think the Players Association would agree to it unless their family members would be a part of it. That would be my guess. Yeah, I would think that you're right, and I think that 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 does change the equation. I I understand and I realize that we have a a lot of members of the military probably listening right now. I live right down the street from Scott Air Force Base uh, and say, hey, we're away from our families a lot, and uh, you know we don't get paid anywhere near what these guys get paid. And we understand and, and appreciate every bit of what you do. But it's a little bit different. Like they just never have done this, I and mean, it's it's a whole different atmosphere for athletes in general. And uh, I think it's an important factor if you can get it in there. Yeah. Bradley, you're the best. I'll have you uh, tuned in in between games, of course, because I never miss a fast lane broadcast. And you'll be part of the broadcast tomorrow with me against the Reds. And I look forward to it. Hey, we're going to have a blast. You guys go dominate today and pick us up a couple of victories. You got it, my man. Thanks. Appreciate it. All right. See you, Dan. All right, buddy. That's Brad Thompson here on uh, Scoops with Danny Mac, and I'll give you the Cardinal lineup for Game 1 coming up next on 101 ESPN. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Well, I think what the Cardinals talked about with Dylan was early on, you know, he was killing some balls, you know, hit a ball 109 miles an hour right to the left fielder. That happened for a while, and then I think he just... Maybe it was mental. He saw his numbers, tried too hard. He was in a real slump by the end. He wasn't hitting the ball hard. He was striking out more than more than he normally would. And so I think I think this is a good move, to be honest. But I think it needs to be in the context of, you know, look, Mike Trout got demoted to AAA at one point in his career. Now, he was 19 years old, but um, he was hitting, I think, high 100s at one point. It happens. I mean, how many great players have not immediately caught fire in their careers? I think people need to remember that he showed a lot of really good things while he was up here. He played really good defense at three spots, which is hard to do. Again, when he's right, he has fantastic strike zone discipline for a guy that age, switch hitter with power. I still think he's going to be a fantastic player, Um, but I do think they had to manage that situation because if you get in that downward spiral and you're his age, you maybe start to think he can't do it at this level. And he was seeing a lot of nasty breaking pitches. <clears throat> That's how they attack him. It's how they attack a lot of young hitters. And it was, I think, put him in a downward spiral. And if you're sort of managing this team, you have to put an end to that. And I think that's what happened. Mark Saxon of The Athletic yesterday on Carriker and Smallman talking about Dylan Carlson. A lot of valid points that he made. Uh, number one, you don't want him to get buried. You want him to be still in a positive frame of mind. And I do think that he was starting to lose maybe a little bit of confidence, not having the chance to visit with him. But you don't want him to be buried. Uh, I thought his defense was above average. Could play all three outfield spots, which is something to think about moving forward as you evaluate in 2021. And I do think he's going to be back here before it's all said and done. <clears throat> the Cardinal lineup here for game number one. Colton Wong will play second base. Tommy Edmond will bat second. He'll play third. Paul Goldschmidt, first baseman. Paul DeYoung batting cleanup. He'll be short. 
At short, uh, let's see. Ron Hal Ravello will be the designated hitter, so no Miller. Yadier Molina will catch, and it's the trio of O'Neill, Bader, Thomas. So O'Neill in left, Bader in center. Thomas will be in right. Jack Flaherty will pitch, and that will be game number one. Good morning, Danny Mack. Goldie signed with the Cardinals from the 314 based off the history and success of the organization, hopes of winning a championship. Do you think he's frustrated with the direction of the team is trending and not improving the lineup, not being all in as far as winning is concerned? No. They were in the NLCS last year. Uh, they're going to go to the playoffs this year more than likely. So, no. And he's got 100-plus million reasons to be real happy. So, no, I don't think that. And also, he's having an MVP-type season. So, I think he's just fine. Um, you know, going back to Dylan Carlson, he gives him options. You know, if, if there's somebody out there that they want and it's an outfielder, they can shift him anywhere they want. He's also young and he makes adjustments. I, I thought he was making adjustments as it was going on in the first 10 to 15 at-bats of his major league career. I was starting to see that. He was getting pitched very hard. He was making adjustments. Now, it started to slide a little bit. But I did see those adjustments. Yeah, I completely agree with you, Dan. Here's the one question that I have. If they're going to send Carlson back to the alternate training side to get his confidence better, you know, get a better frame of mind, why haven't they tried that with any of the other outfielders? They have. To, to send Not him this back. year. Right. But, but I, I mean, mean, they've done that in the past. Yeah, but I mean, to send somebody down to get some more ABs because every one of them is struggling. So is Carlson the guy just because he was called up later and they're trying to properly evaluate? Because he's 21. Yeah, trying to get his confidence. I, I totally get it, but I was just thinking about that. I'm like, man, a lot of these other guys have been struggling. Maybe maybe it was time at some point to, to send somebody else down to get some more at-bats in he's that regard. 21, he'd never been in the big leagues, and do, you don't want him to get completely buried. You know, you walk a fine line with those young prospects. you got to be careful. You know, other guys, they've done that with in the past, and they've had that experience, and you ride it out with them. And I, I don't think you do that with a top prospect. I think you treat that with kid gloves. The other guys, you don't do that with. That's my opinion. Yeah, we've had some sample sizes of the other guys now, yeah. too. Yeah, and I think that's what you do. I think you got to be very careful. But I think you send him down, other guys get a little bit of a run, and if they get good word on him coming back in terms of, hey, this guy's figured some things out. As Brad said, he's been taking you know, every inning of these you know, inter-squad games. He's, he's the first batter, and he's starting to smoke the ball, and he's made some adjustments. Get him right back up here. And put him right back in. That's what I do. Cross it over. Ribs BK coming up next. More of what you want to hear. Scoops with Danny Mac in podcast form on 101 ESPN. Ribs and Alex BK is uh, telling me that, uh, well... Ribs is out. He's out today. He's He'll gone. Be back tomorrow. Just for today, though. He'll be back. Okay. Ferrario's taking a day off tomorrow, so I've just got some line changes that are going along with Quick me. Quick line changes. Got to learn to shift with them. Yeah. It won't be the final change, though. Does no. he have the final change? No. no. You okay. know how radio works. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> do I ever? Do I ever? BK, so what do we have coming up on the show? Uh, so I don't know if you've heard, but today's the first day of the football season. Yeah. I've heard about it. I, and you can go to uh, Sportsbook Paradise and... Lay down your bat. Use the promo code Brandon. That's B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Or do, use W-X-O-S and they'll tell you I sent you. Or Randy. Yeah. 
I would use Brandon. Uh, or We've got Benny Heiss, my guy, Ben Heisler. He's going to join us for some fantasy football content coming up at 1130. Andy Benoit, I think, is one of the best NFL analysts in the business. We'll get his predictions for the season at 1230. And it is a Thursday, which means Joey Vitale is going to join us awesome. coming up at 115 today. All right, guys. Have a great show. Appreciate Thanks, it, Dan. Dan. All right. We'll talk to you tomorrow on 101 ESPN. You have been listening to the TV voice of the St. Louis Cardinals, Scoops with Danny Mack on 101 ESPN.